You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Great to um, great to be back with you. How you all doing? Did you miss us? Yeah, we we missed you too. It was this eerie moment when uh, so we're a team of fifteen or sixteen. Uh, can't quite remember, we kept losing people. Um, but we were sort of disintegrating right towards the end of our time in Greece. And for those who are with us for the very first, first time, we, uh, a team of 15 or 16 went over to Greece to um, join Hellenic Ministries in uh, Operation Joshua and endeavour to, to put the Word of God, which amazingly was only translated into modern Greek in 1989. Many households don't actually have a copy of the Scriptures. So the aim was to join Hellenic Ministries and, and try to put a, a Bible in as many homes as, as we could. And as Alex said before, it was um, somewhere around a figure of 122,000 homes. So each home representing, more often than not, a family that was many lives that were touched with the Word of God. And it was a privilege to be there. But as the team finished their job and we all started to go, we went from 16 down to 8 and then with our various flights and so forth, that number got less and less. And it was, I, I, it was a little bit of a sinking of the heart as we, as we sort of got you know, fewer and fewer. But what a joy to actually, actually arrive back home here in Australia and uh, rock up, uh, as it was for us, I arrived on the Tuesday morning and to rock up actually uh, at 4.12 on Wednesday night and to see so many of you coming out to um, just receive such, such excellent teaching. Very, very exciting what's happening at 412. Fantastic to have... Uh, how many in the Alpha course, Sam? About 36 or... Or seven, including teachers. Yeah, that is amazing. So exciting. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very, very excited and we were very much in prayer View. Okay, a couple of couple of snaps while we're away. You you see that? Hey, there's George. Um, we we had the privilege of going to the refugee centre in Athens, where um, they um, uh, do meals for a few hundred refugees every Monday night. This was actually during Ramadan, where normally the you know a, a good number don't necessarily turn out, but they did. They filled the place. And uh, as a team, we had the privilege of serving meals and getting beside them. And I included this snap of George because I happened to be, I happened to be sitting with George talking to a couple of guys from Afghanistan. And they were just telling us their story. They'd only been in Greece for a few days and, and they were going to walk, weren't they, George, to Germany where one of these chaps, I think in the orange T-shirt, um, has, a, has a wife and a young daughter awaiting waiting him who he hasn't seen for, for months and uh, I was talking to somebody else and George turned to me and, and he said, did you hear that? And then he tried to repeat what the chap had just said, but he couldn't. It's George's heart was so touched, his voice broke halfway through the sentence. And um, that was just such a, such a privilege to, to join the, the crew there. Um, so we were only there for a short time and then we, we headed up to Operation Joshua. These are just a couple of quick snaps. We'll actually do a full report back in a few Sundays' time, but I thought, oh, we better, better show you just a couple of shots of what we've been doing. You can see there a Bible hanging on a gate there and, and that's really what we're doing. We were uh, usually around siesta time. We'd, we'd um, uh, drive into a sleepy little town and, and hang those, those Bibles on the gates and... and um, and all of us together got around to, as we said, about 122,000 homes. One of the towns we went to was Berea, the Berea, as in the New Testament. 
the more noble than the Thessalonians, said Paul. And uh, we, we found that too. That, um, I'm sitting with Jonathan. Jonathan was one of the other um, speakers that, that I um, shared with. There, there were a few, few others in the evenings. We'd have talks. Um, and uh, Jonathan was one of the other, so a very funny guy. I'm sure he's actually in another life, not a pastor, but a stand-up comedian. And we're sitting there um, beside the steps of the old synagogue where Paul would have gone in Berea. So um, uh, the, rest, the rest of the facade and so forth is new, but they apparently are the original, original steps. So that was pretty exciting. We'd go off into little villages, and this was a bit of a highlight for me, up in uh, one village right at the back of Macedonia where this dear old man, 86 years old, this dear old man was telling us they've, they're totally forgotten. He said the government have forgotten them, everybody's forgotten them, nobody comes to their villages, the roads are in disarray, um, nobody comes there, nobody comes with advertising materials, nobody really cares. And, um, and he teared up several times as we were there, just couldn't believe that this little team of people had driven all the way to their village to deliver Bibles. And uh, I asked through the translator how old the, uh, or how long he'd been living in, in that particular house, and uh, he said he's 86 years old and he's been living there for a total of 86 years. And we're standing beside a tree that is 300 years old. That's about three times the age of our nation. Um, and so that's our, that's our little team there. So we had the joy many moments like that where people, um, the receptivity in Greece at this particular time was just amazing. And um, yeah, many, many times like that. We would go into a town, find a person of peace and, um, and they, he, he actually became our advocate. He could hardly, well, he really couldn't walk without um, his walking stick and some aid. And, and so very, very slowly he said, you know, can, can I come with you? I want to make sure that you didn't miss a few of the houses in the village. And so with his walking frame, he, um, he sets off with uh, uh, Bron and our translator there to find a few houses that we just might have missed, just in case. And um, so that was, that was lovely. And then how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Our translator knew this area. Her, I think a lecturer at uni had told her, hey, there's these lovely springs up in the mountains. If you're ever in that area, you need to go there. So right up in the mountains there, after um, a day of, of walking, walking the streets, um, we looked at the map and 15 minutes away were these beautiful springs. And so we, we popped up there and uh, washed the feet just to make sure that, you know, Romans 10, the feet really were beautiful, those who bring good news. We didn't want smelly feet. Then in the evenings we'd head back to the, um, to the campsite and we had uh, evening sessions and they were amazing times. Um, the band there just lovely, so, reminded me so much of the bands that lead us here at EBC week after week after week, just humble, didn't want to be in the picture, just you know, led us all in worship beautifully and we had some some lovely, lovely times in those evenings of meeting around God's word and worshipping together, hearing testimonies of what God had been doing during the day. Um, and then we'd go back out onto the streets and every now and again you would see a, a moment like this um, as, a, as a, uh, a dear old lady sitting up on her porch during siesta time reading, reading the word. She'd grab it out and there she had it on her lap and we would see that again and again. And that's probably one of the big differences I would say. Here in Australia, putting a Bible on a door or something, may, you know, I don't know, would it be read? We trust so. In faith we believe so. We actually delivered a whole bunch of Bibles um, last year. 
and uh, and we you know we, we trust that it would be. But here in Greece, the receptivity is totally different. They just don't have the same dependence upon electronic media that we have. Sure, they've got internet and they've got television and so forth, uh, but they're a society that's still, by and large, are very willing to to sit out on a porch, commune together, and and open up a book. And uh, they loved receiving the word of God. It, it was very, very meaningful for them. So that was, that was sort of the Operation Joshua part. Then our team headed, headed back home. And as you know, I, I um, went AWOL for another couple of days. This is where I was last Sunday. Uh, this is Sarang Community Church. And uh, on the Saturday, actually, I rocked up. I, I flew in um, on the Friday morning feeling terrible. And I realized, because I just don't sleep while on planes, I really hadn't slept since the Thursday morning, but I had a whole day of meetings and a whole evening of meetings. And I know many of you were praying for me, and I thank you for that. Um, and uh, so I arrived at, I don't know, 7 a.m. or something, and, and headed on Saturday morning, headed out to this church for my first meetings. And uh, that's um, t- so two towers connected by a bridge, Sarang Community Church, 17 stories. And uh, I found myself lost in the church, literally. I've never been lost in church before, but I was lost in Tower A and then I was sent over to Tower B and, and then uh, I couldn't find anyone who spoke any English whatsoever and my Korean um, was pretty, pretty much soon exhausted. That's it, that's it, that's it, really. <laughs> and all I've said is good morning, thank you. Um, so uh, I finally got connected with the right people who um, we, uh, we all got connected and, and had that day of meetings. And except for one moment where I possibly fell asleep for an hour, it all went well. I'm just oblivious to whether that, that actually happened. This is the evening meeting, which was, was very, very special. We had a, a lovely, lovely time there and the breakthrough. Then back through um, Brunei, actually, and uh, stop, stopped over there in search of a good cup of coffee and um, found a mosque instead. And so that was just a, just a little bit of a reminder of the diverse world that we, we live in, had some lovely time. You could walk the city of Brunei in about 20 minutes. Um, I took my time and did it in about 22, but had a lovely time just, just praying for that, that wonderful country that so desperately needs the Lord as well. And then every slide presentation must finish with a sunset. So there you go, there's our 787, which only just made it, limped into Tullamarine, I think, and then had to do some repairs. But anyway, it got us, got us there. And it was a, it was a lovely time. We saw, we saw many, many breakthroughs. One of, the, um, one of the interesting ones was, uh, I'll share, Jonathan McCreese, you know, he's been here and shared with us on a number of occasions. And Jonathan shared with us on the final night that for Operation Joshua this year, you know, never has there been a time where perhaps modern day Greece has, has had such a, such a critical need of the, the good news of Jesus Christ. They're really feeling it at the moment. And uh, we were right in the centre of down, downtown Athens near Syntagma Square where probably um, if you'd switched on the news you probably saw um, demonstrations and so forth. We were not far, far away from all of that um, and yet felt very, very safe um, the whole time too. Thank you for your prayer but we, we never felt um, really um, in uh, any uh, uh, threats or, or so forth. But Jonathan was... Jonathan was just sharing a number of things that happened that he needed, needed breakthroughs with. One, one was that because you know, of the whole cash crisis in, um, in Greece, um, they um, really had to, 
um, well, they had a, had a phone call from the, from the publisher of the Bibles. We, um, we needed, you know, I, I think the order was probably for around 230, 240,000 Bibles or so forth. There's only one or two pallets left by the time we finished. Anyway, the publisher rang and said, things have changed a little bit with the way things are, with the economy and so forth. We need 80,000 euros up front. And this was impossible for Jonathan. He just really, you know, they, their cash flow is probably around the, the 10,000 euro mark. They just didn't have 80,000 euros. And uh, so that was one of the, the first problems. They needed a massive breakthrough. One of the second problems was they had nowhere expecting, hoping, trusting, praying for around 350 participants. They had nowhere to put us. The campsite that they had hoped for us to be able to stay at fell through totally. There was no accommodation. And then thirdly, they really did hope so that the job could get done efficiently for around 350 participants. If they just got 300, that would be fantastic. But the fear was, because of the way things were in Greece, because of the fears that people wouldn't be able to access cash and so forth, uh, two weeks out, they only had about 100 registrations. And so they needed some serious breakthroughs. And at the end of the end of OJ, we call it Operation Joshua. At the end of OJ, Jonathan was just sharing how over the moon he was. He said God had done more than he could possibly have expected. Not only, not only just a few days out um, before the deadline for the 80,000 euros, not only did he have um, a gift come in, so he had the 80,000 euros, um, the camp, a campsite much better than we could have possibly expected opened up. In fact, it wasn't really a campsite, technically speaking. It was a, it was a hotel, about, I don't know, two and a half, three star as a hotel. But they asked, you know, what did you, what did you do the catering for last year? And uh, Jonathan reeled out some embarrassing figure that, you know, we, we catered for last year, did our own catering, something like, you know, four, four euro a day per person. It was something, something ridiculous. And they, they thought about that and they said, all right, we'll do the catering this year for the same price. And the meals were amazing, weren't they, team? They were amazing, uh, just incredible meals. And, and so the hotel provided all of the meals um, for the same price. Had a swimming pool, this little hotel was by the beach, and so after a, after a hard day out, it was a lovely place to just come back. It was a little respite, to be quite honest, to just come back there and to be able to, to share and gather together in this amazing little auditorium where we'd have our evening meetings. And actually an interesting thing about that auditorium was, do you remember before we left, we were being commissioned and prayed for and Jeanette came up and Jeanette shared, I don't mind, well I hope you don't mind me sharing this Jeanette, tell me afterwards whether you did or didn't mind and we'll learn from that, won't we? But Jeanette came up and shared and she said, I don't get pictures like this very often but I had this picture of, um, of like a, a big, um, um, what do we call them? Um, Sails, that's right. Big sails, um, you know, big white sails, you know, all, all over the group. And having been to, you know, Greece before, I could, I could easily picture that that might be the case. And she said, but, but not only, they weren't just sails. I, I had a sense that these were more than sails. These were actually like angels' wings covering you the whole time. And you know what? A, a couple of things. On the very first night, and I actually mentioned this to the group because I was the, the speaker for the first night, well, first night of OJ. Um, I actually mentioned to everyone, we're sitting in this auditorium and all o right around us um, in this, uh, this little amphitheatre, right around us were these beautiful big white sails. 
and uh, it was it was almost you know we exactly as Jeanette had pictured and and it was covering the whole audience and and I made mention of that and it was um, it was quite a moving moment where people had realized that God had already been preparing us for this and in actual fact we do believe that like angels wings he was over the whole event we we had no problems whatsoever you know in past years we've had um, that needs a new muffler you know in past years we've had detainments and so forth and not a problem this year not a problem in fact the police did arrive on the very last day just to check that we actually had a camping permit but it was the last day most people had left and were already rolling up the tents so it was quite quite amazing actually how God God went ahead of us looked after us on the roads we had um, and we never take that for granted wonderful road safety and so forth so it was it was, it was fantastic. So Jonathan was sharing on that last day. He got his 80,000 euros. They had this amazing place with this beautiful amphitheatre covered with angels' wings looking over us. And then he said, do you know in the last, in the last two weeks we only had 100 registrations? We had more registrations than we've ever had before. We had 270 registrations come through in two weeks, which was a bit of a nightmare for the, for the registration team. But they had 370 people um, come and, and help deliver the Bibles, and it was, it was fantastic. So it was, it was wonderful. Thank you so much for your, for your prayer. It was, it was wonderful to see those, those breakthroughs. And we're having um, a breakthrough Sunday, aren't we? Next Sunday. And I thought... Uh, I actually had another message prepared and then as sometimes happens, sort of Thursday came and, and went and I, I got to the end of Thursday and I had a little bit of a nudge from the Lord. I thought, it's good to have that prepared but that's not the one, is it, Lord? I think we need to talk about something else. And so, and so um, let me just share with you um, briefly. I thought, let's, let's just anticipate a little bit of next Sunday to talk about what do we mean by, by Breakthrough Sunday? What, what, what is it that we're actually asking? And uh, what, what is it that we're hoping that God might, might do here? Well, the idea came, I guess, to pastoral teams some time back when we, had a, we just became aware of a number of needs, many, many needs that p- folk had. Um, personal needs, people, people just wanting to see a breakthrough in their Christian life, in their Christian walk. And then also families and others who were grieved by ones, you know, who um, in their family or extended family were just going through difficult times or may not actually um, know the joy of salvation that we know and, and it burdened their hearts very much. And so, and so there was a sense of a, a need for some sort of a breakthrough in the lives of many, many people in our congregation. And so we as a pastoral team uh, you know, try to be as prayerful about those needs as we can, but we also, we also became aware of perhaps the need to have a, a Sunday particularly dedicated, set aside, in which we're all particularly praying for you know, breakthroughs for one another. Um, so if you have had a sense you know, over the the last few weeks or even this year or perhaps this has been a burden that you've carried for some time and you've thought to yourself, I really would love to see a breakthrough in this area, personal area or an area of somebody that you love, but you're looking, you're yearning for a breakthrough, then this, in a sense, is, is a little bit of what perhaps uh, might be for you. I, I think of that moment um, in Ziklag. I, I love David. I love King David. I love his, I love his heart. Um, 
is a well, he was the greatest greatest king really um, Israel had, wasn't he? But there was a moment in his leadership where it was a crisis moment. Um, he had been an outcast for some time. Saul was was chasing him. He had the anointing, but he didn't have the platform yet, and and uh, and so he was he was a bit of an outlaw. And he was surrounded by outlaws and, and they were actually living in Philistine territory at that, at that time. The Philistines were going to war against the Israelites and David was kind of caught in this tricky situation of finding refuge in Philistine territory but now going to war against his nation um, who is kind of seeking him as an outlaw, going to war against his nation Israel and of course Saul who he wanted to be faithful to. And so this moment comes where the Philistines kind of look around them and they kind of, kind of say, who's this guy David? He's an Israelite. What's he doing joining, joining our armies? And, and all of the other Philistine leaders say, send him back. And so he, he heads back. Um, they just can't trust him. And as he, as he heads back to a place called Ziklag, he finds that where they had set up base camp and left their wives and their children and all of the stock and all of their belongings, as they arrive at Ziklag, they realise that the Amalekites have raided the city and, and all is lost. They've plundered and, and they've taken, taken their wives, taken their children, taken all of their flocks and so forth and everyone is just aghast. They, they can't believe it. It's not like they even had the chance of the fight. It's, it's a done deal. And really as leader, um, David was responsible for making sure that that everything that pertained to, to his, his soldiers was looked after and, well, it hadn't gone well. And the men were starting to talk of stoning him. David needed a breakthrough. It's a crisis in his leadership right at that moment. And there's this beautiful little statement there in First Samuel, Samuel chapter 30 that David found strength in the Lord. David found strength in the Lord. He turned, he turned to the Lord his God at that moment when he needed strength. And he asks, um, he asks the priest, Abiathar, to bring the ephod to him. And the ephod was a priestly garment which you would put over you and it had stones on it to remind the, the priest of the 12 tribes of Israel and, and the Uman and Thuman and, and the, you, would, you would actually, um, by using these two stones, make judgments and discern the will of God. And so David, David asked that the ephod be, be brought to him. So... Here is David seeking the Lord, needing a breakthrough and asking for the ephod to come from him. And of course, um, he gets his answer. He's told to, to go after the um, um, Amalekite raiders and to pursue them. And he does, and it's a good outcome. But sometimes when we need a breakthrough too, I think we've got to do the same. We've got to seek the Lord. We've got to turn to the Lord, come to him in a very deliberate fashion and it's even better when we come together. But imagine if instead of having to ask for the ephod, imagine there was this magic, magic ephod over there behind the drum kit somewhere and we could say, all right, bring out the ephod and we'd bring out the ephod and you could put it on and, and you could have the answer to your prayer you know, made known, clarity with regards to whatever that issue is that you need a breakthrough in. Or imagine instead of putting an ephod on, imagine if you could have an ephod, a, some sort of a way of discerning the will of God within you. Well, that's how it is for us today. No more ephods. No more 
going behind the drum set to look for, for some sort of special garment that's going to help us understand the will of God. You don't have to put an ephod on. We've got even better than an ephod within us. We've got Christ himself within us. That's, that's what we have. And so I guess if I wanted to try and tie this in a little bit with, with our current theme, I'd say, well, here we are learning to be an abiding people. We, we do it all together. We want, need to learn to be, be still. I imitate Christ. D, devotion to one another and E, envoys of grace. We're up to the I and we're doing well. We're charging through that at a slow pace. But we're learning to, I imitate Christ. And, well, we've been, been on a little bit of a series. I want to remind you of this because it was you know, forever ago. We're imitating the ministry of Jesus and we had, a, we had a little bit of a look. Do you remember that? Waiting, learning to be a waiter. Do you remember that? It was a long time ago, wasn't it? Oh, a bit of a stretch for some of us. Anyway, we'll come back to that, learning to imitate Jesus in his ministry. But we need to also imitate Christ in prayer as well. And there's a lot to learn from him. But firstly, we notice, we notice this. Just like having, instead of an ephod on us, an ephod in us, even better than an ephod, we have Jesus Christ himself within us. And that changes everything with regards to prayer. Because in Christ, we have a new intimacy. We have a new relationship and a new authority. Now, we did look at this aspect of John 15, vine and the branches, some time ago. But I thought, leading up to Breakthrough Sunday, let's just do a quick revision. Let's just go back through this a little bit. Firstly, a new intimacy. John 15.4 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And that's where we get these, these words. We said, hey, if the Father is going to get much glory, he'll get it because we live fruitful lives. Being the best disciples we can possibly be, fruit is the inevitable result of abiding or remaining in Christ. So that's kind of the way we've been, been tracing this. So this new intimacy of remaining in Christ, even, even as Christ Jesus remains in us, will ensure that we bear fruit. There's a couple of promises here. This new intimacy means, well, firstly, that in, in our lives we will bear much fruit. John 15:5. if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's the fruitful life. Fruit is the inevitable result of abiding. But not only that... And here it is with regards to prayer. This is, this is where we're going. We're trying to learn from Christ, imitate Christ in his prayer. He had a unique and intimate relationship with his Father. And he had an amazing prayer life. And something about his remaining in the Father, he and the Father being one, empowered his prayer life. He says the same thing to us. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So it seems that the principle is the same, the same here. You know, we have this new intimate relationship and it is impossible to overstate the enormity of this, Christ dwelling within us. But fruitful prayer is like the fruitful life. It all is the natural result of remaining in Christ. If you want to have a fruitful prayer life, it's the same as just having a fruitful life. A fruitful prayer life, like a fruitful life, is the inevitable result of remaining in Christ. If you want to see breakthroughs in prayer, if you kind of feel like my prayer life is a little bit dry, I, I kind of don't feel like I see answers to prayer, I don't feel like when I pray there's, there's any power about it, well, it all goes back to the same root. If you want a fruitful prayer life, a fruitful prayer life will be the inevitable result of abiding in Jesus Christ. The answer really is, as we often say in Sunday school, Jesus. It all goes back to Jesus. 
If you want more fruit in your life, Jesus, abide in Him. If you want more fruitful prayer life, Jesus, abide in Him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we have this, this new intimacy, this new intimate relationship with Jesus, and that changes absolutely everything. Sometimes you might think to yourself, well, you know, I, I get the whole Christianity bit. I'm just not a good prayer. Anyone ever told themselves, I'm just not a good prayer? You ever have those moments? Okay, it's just me. That's all right. Um, no, I, I think, hey, I think all of us have those times where we kind of feel a little bit in the whole area of prayer just inadequate. Sam was, was uh, speaking to us from, from Timothy and, and talking about this whole area of intercession just recently, only a few weeks ago. did a marvellous job. But do you remember his, his confession just as he started out? He said, to be quite honest, I feel so inadequate to be able to share with you. And I rate Sam as, as, as one of the great prayers that I know. So I've got him on the pastoral team. Cover that one off. No. I love Sam's prayer life. I love listening to Sam pray. But, you know, most of us feel inadequate in this area. But fruitful prayer life is the inevitable result of abiding in Jesus Christ. Do you remember when we were looking at the whole idea of Christ in you? I, I asked you on one occasion to, to think, just, just close your eyes and to think for a moment about Jesus Christ, your Lord and Saviour. And then I asked you this question. When you thought about him, was he out there or was he in here? Do you remember that moment? You know, it's very telling, isn't it, about our theology and indeed practical theology at that moment. Where do you think he is? When we pray and when you feel just, I don't know, so, so unempowered in your prayer, remember, where is Jesus at the moment? Because if in that moment, instead of somewhere out there, I'm not sure if you're listening, I think you're listening, I'm told you're listening, the theology book says you're listening, so I guess I'll believe that you're listening. Instead of thinking that way, what if you were to turn inward, not in some narcissistic way, but turn inward for a moment to focus on the reality that Jesus Christ dwells within you. And you're not talking to a distant God, you're talking to a close God who is more intimate than anything that you have ever known. When you feel physically the pulse of your heartbeat, in a spiritual sense, you can actually feel the pulse of Christ. Such is the reality of his indwelling. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And revolutionary in terms, of, in terms of your prayer life. And so we have this amazing new intimacy with Jesus Christ which changes absolutely everything. Um, a new intimacy and a new relationship. But we also have a new understanding. A new understanding now. And this new understanding comes also from this connectedness we have with the vine, vine and branches. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. There's a bit of a wow factor to that statement. Look at it. How much has Jesus made known to the disciples? Wow. You're kidding, right? <laughs> Anyone else want to say that? 
You're kidding. Everything? Like everything? That's what it says. Everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, if that was true of the disciples at that particular time, how much more true is that of the risen, ascended Christ who through his Spirit now dwells in you and I? We might not know everything about everything, but we know everything that we need to know in a given moment. We have a new understanding. We have a new intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a a new understanding. And so we can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can can pray that because, because God himself will give us understanding as to what his will is in a given matter. We just need to pause. So that's why we say with the B, we could have, we could have made it a P for prayer, but the word would have been a pied and I don't know, it just, just doesn't work, does it? But B, be still. That's why in terms of prayer, just being still for a moment, allowing God to talk to us before we talk to him, isn't a bad thing. Understanding what the will of God is before we start pushing forward into it. And Jesus says, well, I've given you this new intimate relationship with me and I've given you a new understanding. And not only that, just lest you think your, your prayers are falling on deaf ears, well, I've given you a new authority as well. He goes on to say, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that, now here's, here's the deal, whatever you ask, in my name, the Father will give you. We've had a look at this and we've kind of thought that's got to be one of the most dangerous promises of Scripture. But remember, it's rooted in the fact that Jesus is in us. A new understanding of the will of God is in us. Therefore, whatever we ask in the name of Jesus, this new authority that we have also is rooted in that relationship with him, that beautiful relationship with him. So it's not so dangerous at all. Well, not dangerous for God. It's pretty dangerous for Satan. Here is the promises of Christ within us. That's the reality. And so, so this should change things a little bit, shouldn't it? If that is the reality, if Christ in us means we have a new intimate relationship with God, a new understanding of what the Father's will is, and a new authority, a new name by which we can pray, the sort of name that opens heaven's doors, the sort of name that that because Christ is in us and he always does the Father's will and now he resides in us informing and helping our understanding, shaping our understanding of what the Father's will is and now he gives us his name and says, now use my name when you talk to the Father. Ask it in my name, I guarantee it. The Father will not deny you. Not if you use my name. That's true. The Father will not deny the Son. We use that name and it literally does open the gates of heaven when we ask according to his will. And so if it's all about the glory of God and and we have the understanding, the mind of God within us and we are asking in the name of Jesus, the Father will not deny the Son and he will answer that prayer. So here's the thing. In Luke chapter 11, this is Luke and Matthew record the Lord's Prayer and we've touched on the Lord's Prayer. Luke is kind of a slightly abbreviated, abbreviated version. But in Luke chapter 11, Jesus couples teaching on the Lord's Prayer with just a couple of stories. Let me, let me tell, them, tell them quickly. 
We've got a couple of stories here about a sleepy neighbour, an unfair judge and an evil dad. Maybe you've encountered at least one of those in your time. Sleepy neighbour. Firstly, in, in chapter 11, um, this is the one where you've got a friend. All of a sudden, he rings you and he says, Hey, I'm coming over and I'm really hungry. I think you'll need three loaves of bread. So you think, right, I need three loaves of bread. Hungry friend coming over. Sleepy neighbour. How do I wake him up? And so you, you knock and knock and knock on the neighbor's door and you say, my hungry friend is coming over. I need three loaves of bread. And he says, oh, I'm not going to get up. We're all in bed and I'm asleep. I can't even hear you. And you kind of think, I've got to get new neighbors. I've got to move somewhere. Get a, get a better place. Progress Road. Great neighbors on Progress Road, right? And, and so you, 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 know, you know, kind of knock and knock and knock and eventually he said, all right, all right, I give up. I give up here. And uh, Luke goes, or Jesus goes on to say, here recorded in Luke, um, not because of your amazing friendship will he get up. No, 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 no. Not because of that. Yet because of your shameless audacity, your shameless audacity, he'll finally get up and he will give you your three loaves of bread for your hungry friend. Your shameless audacity. Jesus is saying, you know what? You need to have this bold persistence in prayer. On what basis can we have a bold persistence? Well, remember everything we just learned about Christ in us, new intimacy, new understanding, and a new authority. Okay, Because of that, we should have a shameless audacity when it comes to prayer. We should be bold. Um, and we should, we should kind of pester God like a, like a sleepy neighbor. We should do it. And, and God, who's not a sleepy neighbor, will actually answer our prayer. Why? Because of our shameless audacity. There's something he loves about our bold persistence. Isn't that interesting? I know some of you, like me, ask, well, how often do we pray for something? When we pray, do we do it you know, three times, four times, five times? How long do we go on? How, how often do we keep up this, this prayer, this particular prayer? Well, usually until we, we see an answer, but, but don't miss the point. God loves the persistence. He loves our bold persistence. He loves the shameless audacity that we show when we're just knocking and knocking and knocking and saying, please, God, please. And he goes on to say, and this is that beautiful, beautiful little summary, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. There's a little formula for you. Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives, those who seek will find, and those who knock, the door will be opened. Why? Because God loves your shameless audacity. He loves your bold persistence. He loves the fact that you're going for it again and again and again. You can't annoy heaven enough. There's something about your knocking and your, and your seeking and your asking of God that blesses his heart. He loves it. Who else? Do you have in your life that likes to be annoyed like that? And there's a little bit of annoyance in all of us. Don't we like annoying someone? Well, annoy God. You have permission. Annoy God. Annoy heaven. Keep knocking on that door. You have permission to do it. God thinks it's funny. He likes it. So keep doing it. Ask, seek, knock. He loves your bold persistence. Why? What is it about persistence? What is it about that picture that, that God loves? Well, not immediately after, but, but he, in chapter 18, Luke tells another story, which I think gives, gives the clue away. It's the parable of the persistent widow. You know this one. This is the unfair judge. This is kind of just a 
cruel guy. Think about all of the evil characters that, that are usually in the, you know, your favourite films and roll it all into one. Here's your unfair judge. He's just a mean kind of a dude. Jesus tells this parable. He says, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Lovely, lovely, great. That's just what we want. And there was a widow in that town, however, who kept coming to him. Grant me justice, she would plead. And for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because she keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so, so that she won't eventually come and attack me or wear me down, some versions have. In other words, it's a self-preservation thing. <laughs> the judge is a thoroughly selfish person. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about the widow. But he's sick of being annoyed. He's going to do something about it. He will give the woman justice. Well, if an unfair judge will do that, how much more will God answer your prayer? And then here's the clue. In this particular story, we see what this is all about. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then there's this little question Jesus Jesus puts right at the end of this. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's the clue. Huh. So this is about faith, right? This is actually about faith. Our persistence shows that we have faith in God. And when we have to wait, but we don't give up, we're persistent, we show even greater faith. And then when we're still waiting and we don't give up, but are persistent, we show even greater faith. Our persistence demonstrates our faith in God. That's what he loves about it. That's why he loves it. In fact, right up there in, in uh, chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus actually tells them this story related to faith. He says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. This persistence is really about an opportunity to demonstrate faith. Did you realize that? Every time we pray and we think, God still hasn't answered yet. That's odd. I wonder what's wrong. Did my prayer not get through? Is it the wrong prayer? Did he not hear? <gasps> wrong formula. I need to say it differently. There's just some mantra here that I've, I've not clued into or something like that. Or have you, have you ever done your head in, going around and around and around, thinking, what's, why have I not got the answer that I want yet? I've been asking, I've been seeking, I've been knocking. Door hasn't opened, I haven't found, I, I haven't seen the answer that I've wanted yet. What is it about this? Your persistence, which God absolutely loves, demonstrates your faith. And God delights in that. Every time that you have to wait on an answer to prayer, you have an opportunity to demonstrate, guess what? More faith. Isn't that cool? So actually waiting in prayer is an opportunity to demonstrate faith. We're going to be waiting on God all this week and it's a wonderful opportunity to demonstrate our faith in him. And so, you see, be audacious in your prayer. Be audacious because it expresses faith. And then lastly, there's this little, little story about the evil dad. We've had the, the sleepy neighbour the unfair judge, now the evil dad. This, this dad is more evil than Homer Simpson. This is a really evil dad. And Luke says this, you know, 
Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Which is a little bit of an, a little bit of an odd thing. If you go back to chapter 10 in Luke, this is that moment where the, the 70 have been sent out, the disciples have been sent out, they come back. And in chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus says of that, the disciples going out, he says, Wow, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. What is Jesus saying there? Well, snakes and scorpions were, were, were pictures of the things that you, you can fear most. You can't do anything about. Um, you don't even see it coming. You lie down one night or maybe your kids lie down and lo and behold, a scorpion somehow has got into the house and, and, and yee, you're out there in the fields one day or you're just walking from one town to another and you sit down on a rock or you walk behind a bush and there's a snake. These are, these are things to fear. These are things you can do nothing about and these are things which there is no remedy for. And Jesus says, well, those things that, you know, think about the worst thing that can happen to you, the thing that you just can't predict, the thing that might keep you awake at night or make you worry about your kids. Think about the worst thing that could happen to you. You know what? I give you authority over that. And then Jesus says here, speaking of the evil dad, you know, you dads know that when your kids ask for something, whether it be um, a fish or an egg, you don't give them something really harmful and fearful, do you? You don't give them snakes and scorpions. You don't do that. And yet you're evil dads. All of you, you're the same. You're evil dads. Yet you still know how to give something good to your kids. Well, how much more? your heavenly father. How much more will he not give you good things? And Luke goes on to say, the best thing you could possibly have is the Holy Spirit. Why the Holy Spirit? Because, well, as Jesus will explain to the disciples in time to come, that is how Christ reigns within us. That is the coming of the kingdom of God within us. That is Christ in you and I, the hope of glory. That is where the authority reigns. And, and so Jesus says, that's one of the best things a father could ever give you. You've got to believe that your heavenly father is going to give it to you. And so really this is all about the character of God here, the goodness of God. And so we should be audacious in prayer because it expresses our faith. It expresses our faith in the goodness of God. Every time we persist in prayer, every time we keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, annoy annoy heaven it shows our persistence in prayer shows that we have faith ultimately in the goodness of God we're not questioning him we might not always understand his ways but we trust in his character we don't always understand the ways of God but we trust in his character he's good he's good most of the time no he's good all of the time he's always good God is always good. And our persistence in prayer demonstrates our faith in that wonderful trait. And so we have this invitation in prayer and in intercession of, of standing, as it were, between heaven and earth. And this was, this was a shot. I, actually can't, I think it was, it was flying over Australia as I was coming in. I, I was tossing up with this in the sunset shot and I thought, oh, actually, I know. It, it, it really captivated me because it really is like 
yeah, literally flying between heaven and earth, isn't it? And I was, I was thinking about that as I, I took the shot out the window. I was thinking about that aspect of intercession where, yeah, we're praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here we are, as it were, standing between heaven and earth and interceding on behalf of earth. We know that there is something better We look at this earth and we know this is not right. This is not the way it should be. And we know that God in heaven has far greater plans for our lives, the lives of those we love, the lives of our nation and the the lives of other nations around us. Our globe, God has wonderful plans for planet earth. And so we are interceding, as it were, standing in between heaven and earth, we are interceding and we are praying continually. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want. And in those moments where you don't know even how to pray, you know a situation feels totally lost, it just feels so desperate. And you know that you should be persistent in prayer, but you're just not even sure what to say. It's not a bad prayer, you know. Oh, Lord... I don't know what your will is in this particular matter at the moment. You haven't revealed it to me just yet, but that doesn't matter. I pray that your will will be done here on earth in this matter as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. And so we stand in the gap and we pray. And that's kind of what we're doing next week. But not only next week all through this week. In actual fact, what we wanted to do in lead up to next Sunday, next Sunday services will be, will be kind of in, terms of, in terms of time, they will be kind of the same as, as this Sunday's services. They'll, they'll be sort of same times and so forth. And, and if, you know, we're praying and, and kind of we're getting to that, you know, oh, 11 o'clock mark, um, that clock's wrong. It says only 10 o'clock. I've got another hour, which is good because I had some more photos to show you. Um, somebody's going to fix that clock, aren't they? Um, you know, if we kind of get towards the, the end of when we'd normally be wrapping up, we'll, we'll kind of still do that because we're aware some of you have families and commitments and so forth and we want you to feel free at that point to, to go off and we'll have coffee as per normal and so forth. But there will also be an invitation if you... If you're still doing business with God or you'd still like to pray, there'll also still be space and time to, to keep praying. There's no need to rush off. In fact, um, on Sunday, we actually want to have the church here open um, all day, pretty much. Uh, the day starts at 6 a.m., I think, Sam, wasn't it? Was that when you, you were going to get here? No. Was it, sorry. 8, 8 a.m. Yes, 8 a.m. That's, is that when you're going to get here? Yes, it starts at 8 a.m. and then it's going to go through to after the evening service. Okay, and of course during the morning service and the evening service there will be more people people here. But we want to have the the church building open from eight to late. I like that eight to late. That works, doesn't it? And and so yeah, come any time. Um, be lovely if it was a nice day, wouldn't it? And you can just linger. Um, around the place and walk around the grounds and enjoy it. But anyway, the building will be open from 8 to late and you're most welcome to be here and to pray anytime. But we also just had it on our heart that we wanted to cover this week. We just wanted to 
to cover one another, the church, and all of these, these breakthroughs that we're, we're asking and seeking and knocking on heaven's door for, we want to cover that in prayer as well. We're really expecting and anticipating that God will do some wonderful things. And, and so what about some 24-7 prayer? Would you like to be involved in that? We actually have on our website um, a link so that you can actually sign up for, for an hour of prayer. But we'd like to have, there's, there's slots all the way through the week. How many slots, Sam? 168 slots of prayer. Um, one hour slots. And we'd love to have a name in every one of those slots. You can put your name down twice. But we'd love you to log on to the website, click on the link and kind of look at, okay, what haven't we got covered there? You know, 3 a.m. Oh, and is that me, Lord, or should I pray for somebody else? I'll pray... <laughs> Pray for Blair. Blair would be good for that 3 a.m. slot. No, no, someone else. All right. But, but, you know, who should I pray for to pray at 3 a.m.? And maybe it is you. I don't know. Um, set the alarm, hop up for an hour. Um, that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? You know, if you don't, God will wake you up anyway. Yeah. He knows how to knock as well. So we want all of those one-hour slots filled, 168 of them. If your favourite one happens to be taken, guess what? You can, you can still put your name there. All the 3 a.m. ones are gone. All the 3 a.m. ones are gone. <gasps> oh, so you better hurry up. If you want the 2 a.m. or the 4 a.m. <laughs> wow, who's got them, Sam? I just want to know. Do, do we know? Oh, Ken's on there. Oh, Ken. Uh, just like Ken to take the 3 a.m. slot, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we, should, we shouldn't. Okay, um, but log on, grab a grab an hour there, and um, and if somebody else has got it, but that's just, that's the one you just. I, I knew I wanted to pray there. Well, pray too. That's okay. Um, God God can hear. I, I can't think of a scripture verse immediately offhand to validate this, but I'm pretty sure God can hear two prayers at once. And there is a verse about that. I'm sure. Um, so don't worry, double up, that's fine. But we would love to have 24-7 um, prayer coverage leading up to, to next week's Breakthrough Sunday. And it is actually very exciting to see that many of you have already, already signed up. Um, anything else, Sam, I had to say about next Sunday? Come along. Come along with expectant hearts. Come along believing that God wants to be annoyed. He loves persistence in prayer because it expresses faith in his goodness. And the basis for this prayer is what we're about to celebrate now in communion. The basis for all of this is this newfound intimacy, this newfound relationship in Jesus Christ where we have a new understanding and we have a new authority like never before. No longer do we throw an ephod over our body. We have, as it were, an ephod within. But even better than that, the, the high priest himself, the high priest, dwells within you and I and is constantly interceding on our behalf. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www dot elthambaptist dot net